0: I'm Luke Betger, and this is On Point. Welcome back to On Point. This is the podcast where I get to speak with pastors, church leaders, and influential thinkers from across Europe to hear where they've been, where they're going, and how they're getting there. My name is Luke Betger. I'm the executive director of ECGI, which is the European Church Growth Initiative. And our mission is to equip churches, pastors, and leaders for influential ministry. And part of the way that we get to do that is through this podcast, On Point, where I actually get to talk to people, find out best practices from them, find out what people have been learning uh, when it comes to leading and pastoring in Europe and I really love being able to do this. I think it's so fun to be able to talk to great uh, leaders and people and friends and, and get to meet some new people and hear what they're doing and hear uh, their stories, really. And so that's what we're doing on this podcast. And I hope that you're enjoying it. I hope that it makes a difference. I hope that it impacts you in some way and uh, that it can uh, challenge you to, to lead uh, better Lead like never before, lead in a new way. I don't know what it might be, but I really think that there might be something in here that actually can contribute to your flourishing as a leader and as a person. So this is the second episode now of On Point. Our first episode premiered last week, and it was great. Many, many people listened to it, which was really cool. I got a lot of great response. And now we're on episode two. And um, I'm really thrilled uh, to have been able to interview Uh, the person that I was able to interview for this second episode. He is an incredible church leader, an incredible church builder. He's been in ministry for, uh, honestly, actually, as long as I've been alive. And he's been doing great things. He's the kind of person that has stepped out in faith many, many times. He's been doing ministry and church planting and missionary work in Russia, in remote regions of Russia, and also in St. Petersburg. And uh, he's made such a massive difference there. And I'm really excited for you to be able to hear a little bit of his story, but also just a little bit of his passion for uh, church planting and for ministry and for discipleship. And I, I really think that this is an interview that has the potential to change your outlook on a number of things that maybe you you, you know you're kind of. St- stuck in or set in your ways, uh, you're know you set in your thinking, I really think that this is going to cause you to think again in various areas of ministry and leadership and serving in church, no matter what level you serve on in a church, whether you're a senior pastor or whether you're a volunteer on a Sunday, I really think that there's something in here that's going to impact you today. And so without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Andreas Frankner. Well, Andreas, thanks so much for joining me on On Point here. I've been looking forward to this now for, uh, you know, since you agreed to do this, this is actually a real pleasure, a privilege. Um, because, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of your story before, but I've heard it secondhand. And I'm excited to actually be speaking to you and be able to hear a little bit about your story. And, and you know, you're somebody that I, uh, from a distance, have been following for a number of years. Somebody that I look up to and respect in so many ways. And, you know, I think that there's a lot that, that I can learn from you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I I think also a lot that, that leaders across Europe can learn from you as well. Um, when it comes to, you know, even going the distance in ministry, you've been in ministry a long time. Um, in fact, in some ways, I think your whole life has, uh, been, there's been ministry in your life. And, um, and, and that is something that I think just needs to be commended right off the bat because, uh to go that kind of distance in ministry i mean it takes uh courage i think in many ways and you've done many incredible things and i'm excited to hear about all of those things but anyways i just want to say welcome and i'm so glad to have you here and uh where um where are you recording from today where are you at
1: i'm in Vestros uh in sweden uh, we have moved back from Russia after living ten years in St. Petersburg, and, and we live like one hour outside Stockholm in Sweden. And uh, we live on the countryside and uh, wake up with birds singing in, by the lake, and it's just wonderful. Thanks for having me. It's just an honor uh, to to be here and share my story and some of my experiences.
0: Yeah, well, why don't why don't we start uh, sort of at the beginning? This is kind of the question that I asked to get things going, which is where have you been? So. Um, why don't you give just a bit of an overview of kind of kind of your life from from when you were growing up? Like, where did it start for you? Where were you born? How how did that go?
1: Yeah, I I grew up in a pastor's family in Sweden. Uh, my father was a Pentecostal pastor, and in Sweden that meant to move around quite a bit. So uh, that was my upbringing, and uh, I remember. Uh, in my teenage years, I I just had a kind of faith crisis and I I really was talking to God about having a personal experience. And uh, when I started to read the Bible, I, I actually spoke to God about this, that I want to see this. I want to experience it in a personal way, what I read about in the Bible. I don't necessarily see it in the church, but I want to experience it for myself. I started to read uh, biographies and books that I saw in my father's bookshelf and a desire to to experience that myself what I heard about and read about from the from the past so that was like that hunger for God and a bold desire that started in my life to I was dreaming about to see what I read in the bible and, and read in biographies of heroes of faith and yeah. I became a magnet, you know, for those prayers and prophecies and just that hunger as a young person and a desire to, to see the world, uh, to see what God was doing, especially on the mission field outside Sweden at that time. And, and, uh, and that just desire to here I am, Lord, send me, and use me, Lord, and, and, and I want to make a difference for your kingdom. So, so
0: that's how it started. Were, were there any yeah. were there any particular biographies that like really gripped you? Yes, yes. Uh, well, the stories just for,
1: of of Lauren Cunningham, uh, the founder of Youth with a Mission. Uh, he had a, a book called "Daring to Live on the Edge" that that really made an impact on me. I heard stories, I read books about Lester Sumrall, Hudson Taylor, so both people who were not living anymore, but also people who who were all doing it, but had done it for many, many years. And uh, Sweden has been historically sending a lot of missionaries to the to the world. And those missionaries have had impact in Brazil, Central, South Africa, Africa, South America, and Asia. And to hear many of those stories, that, that really had an impact on my life.
0: No kidding. And so that was kind of when you were a teenager, you, you felt that and where did that lead like what what did that what did that take you to
1: yeah so uh, when i finished school that was the time when when the, the iron wall fell uh soviet collapsed and russia opened up uh, for the west and for the gospel and for for churches so a lot of missionaries uh, started to travel to russia and i heard about the revival in russia and I, uh, as a teenager still, I traveled to Russia just yes, to see and experience for myself. But God really touched my heart and I moved to Russia. Uh, I was 19 years old when I moved there and I stayed there for for six years the first season. But now I've lived in Russia for 16 years and, and the last 30 years of my life I've been involved in Russia. So uh,
0: that has been a huge part of, of my life. What, what was it about Russia, like what did you really? How did you discern that that was the place when you were 19 years old? I mean, that's very young. And uh, like, like, what was it that that confirmed for you this is where I need to be?
1: It was just that hunger to see revival and to see what I had read about in the Bible, and, 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 and that actually happened after 70 years of communism of atheism there was such a va- vacuum a vacuum or or such an emptiness and void and people were so hungry so we i came into a movement a revival in russia where i had no it was not at all because of me others had prayed others had sown i could just participate in the in the harvest of things and it was Amazing. Thousands and thousands of people came to Christ and it really impacted whole society. And uh, that really... So it wasn't really much about Russia as a nation as much as it was about revival in itself. But
0: uh, then Russia captured my heart. And where where did you first go in Russia when you were 19? Where did you move to? You know, the Bible speaks about going to all the
1: world and to the ends of the world. So I, I started to go to the ends of the earth. I went to something called Kola Peninsula in the very north, north of the polar circle, snow nine months a year, winter, there was terribly cold, but uh, people were wonderful. So it was just an an amazing experience uh, in that glasnost, perestroika, that openness that came, not only the revival, but also the the cultural experience
0: and the people. and, And I just fell in love with Russia. Did you learn Russian at that time? Like you, the language and the culture, how'd that go? Yeah, I I didn't
1: have a long-term plan. Uh, I, I came there as a one-year uh, first, but it ended up being six years and then it has been the last 30 years. But but uh, I realized when I started to correct the the interpreters that I had that I actually understood more than I thought. And then in, in I, I'm a very social, relational guy and I, I started to pick up a lot. So I, I learned through fellowship with people now i speak russian
0: and i have studied at university also that's amazing i mean that's an incredible way to learn like just by full immersion just boom you're in it and you're gonna learn it and especially because you love the people right like that's like what a great motivation to learn to be able to connect with people and to be able to share the gospel i think that's so cool
1: I do think it's it is important to to in in many ways just yes, to, to learn the language. Like if you really love a nation, p- the people, uh, to show them the respect, all that you're actually trying, and you 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 pass over some barriers, and 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 people receive you in a different way when
0: you speak their language, and so I think it is a key. So what what happened after those six years, those first six years in Russia?
1: Yeah, I for me it just it was that. I was given an opportunity, I was given a platform and I stood under leadership that that saw something in me, that trusted me and gave me a chance and an opportunity and and they believed in me and uh, I would never be able to do what I did there. Uh, I stood under senior leadership missionaries that came to Russia, but uh, because of different circumstances, one of the missionaries actually passed away and, and died too early. And I was given at the age of 20 years old responsibility for several churches and a Bible school and a team. And I I was not ready for it, but I I had the support from my pastor in Sweden. But I I had a chance to grow and uh, practice and do mistakes and learn by doing. And uh, that was a tremendous school, Uh, not in theory, but, but really in practice. So... But after six years in Russia, we, we felt the Lord called us back to Sweden. And uh, in the same way as we felt my wife and I called to Russia, we felt God's calling to Sweden and to be a part of a church planting movement. And uh, so we moved to Malmo in the very south of Sweden, a city with like 300,000 people in the region of a million people or so. And uh, with a dream to plant new churches. Uh, I was not the senior pastor, but I was a part of a pastoral team. And we had a a dream to just plant new churches there. And and, uh, yeah, really not to point at the problem with church, but to be a desire to be a part of the solution. And uh, planting churches in Sweden at that time, this is like in the end of the 90s. It was like the eleventh command: Thou shall not plant a new church. It wasn't really like everyone was cheering you on for that. But we didn't want to. We didn't want to plant a church for already Christians. Like it wasn't like a new style that was our thing. We really wanted to plant a new church for new people, and uh, and a church that we really like to be a part of ourselves, and a church that we would be confident uh, to invite our not yet christian friends to so that was what we did for like 12 years i was a part of that journey and 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 that was
0: amazing right and now um and, and then after that th- then you felt god call you back to russia
1: yeah so all the the whole time while we were living in sweden and being part of that we saw hundreds of people coming to christ and and that was such a tremendous experience and and uh, so even also there we did a lot of mistakes and I, I can after 30 years of doing this with church planting that I can more share experience how to not do things than to uh, how to do it successfully. But but uh, you can learn through that as well. And uh, during the, this whole time we traveled back to Russia and uh, we, we especially St. Petersburg, Russia. So we had it on our heart. We left Russia, but Russia didn't leave us. And after 12 years in Malmö, Uh, We moved back to Russia and moved to St. Petersburg in Russia, a city with more than 5 million people. And we have lived there 10 years from 2010 to 2020. Just a couple of months ago, we moved back to Sweden. And we moved moved there to to plant a church and train pastors and leaders. And and, uh, that has been also an amazing
0: experience. And and how was that? I mean church building and training leaders in a place like Russia? I mean, were, were people open to it? Are people responsive to it? Is it, I, I imagine it's very different than Sweden.
1: Well, it's di- it's very much different from Sweden. I, I think it has helped us that we, we were there in the 90s. I think it helped us that we know the language, that we have friends uh, for many years and that we have traveled during the last 30 years. So we really have invested ourselves in Russia. I think that has helped a lot. Uh, we have experienced both enormous openness for the gospel and for the, uh, the church plant, and we have seen also opposition. And I, I think that, that we need to be ready for that, where no matter where we, we do this and where we are. And I think that there might be different challenges in different places, but the opposition and openness is something to expect anywhere we go.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I, I guess that that's, uh, th- that, that kind of comes with the territory of church building and church planting, doesn't it? That's just kind of how it is. And so now now you're back here, you're in Vesteros, uh, you're in Sweden again. Um, so what are things like now? What are you doing now? What are you focusing your energy and your efforts in now? We didn't really want to
1: leave Russia. We didn't really feel that we were finished there, but we had to leave. I was denied residence permit and uh, we just gave that in God's hands and we understand that God helped us to to move back to Sweden under those circumstances. And uh, we we continue to support the church in Russia, uh, but from Sweden. And uh, since we moved to Sweden, I have not been able to travel because of the pandemic but uh, I, I, I train pastors, preachers, support church leaders and Christian business people online. So that's what I'm doing. And, and uh, after 30 years of, almost 30 years of, of being involved in this, it's really my passion to missions, church planting, to support pastors and support missionaries. And uh, I really dream about to, to kind of pass on the baton and support the next generation of missionaries and, and church planters
0: and church leaders. So, what would you say if if uh, if we get into some more practical questions now um, around church building, church planning? What would you say is you know some of the most important things for a young church planter to prioritize as they are either planning to church pl- to planning to plant a church, or as they have maybe just recently planted a church, or it's on their heart. What, what would you say is like, hey, young church planner, leader, you need to prioritize this thing? What what would you say that that would be?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And um, I would say that, that it's so important to, first of all, lead yourself before you lead others. And to make sure that you invest in yourself, that you prepare yourself, and that you surround yourself with mentors, coaches, uh pastors and that you're, you have a big world uh, of, of influence and that you, you listen, you study, you learn, you grow and you make sure that, that you lead yourself in, in that way. I think that is so important and, and that, that aspects of spiritual disciplines as well as just growing as a leader and, and I think that is so important. Uh, I think then just to, to never stop having that big vision it's so important, it's so easy to uh, start to lead and manage what you actually see the people, the program but to, to always have a greater vision than, than the program or, or the actual people that you see and, and to cast that vision and, and to be driven by that vision and, and to develop that vision all the time. Um, and also be careful with recruiting the right people to your team, I would say is it's so crucial. Uh, and not to rush to start a service, that would be my, my advice because like we are many times of going for that. Like when can we open the doors and, and start to welcome people? But that's in one way the is the, the easy part of just doing weekly church services. But it's so easy for people also to get their identity in what their role is in a church service, like serving as volunteers or being a part of worship team or preachers or media team or creative team or whatever. But but what what is the big challenge is really what's happening in between every church service, like the relationship, the discipleship making, living intentional and missional. Uh, that's really the challenging. So it really take time to establish that culture would be would be my encouragement yeah so to say say.
0: yeah i mean i i think you're absolutely on the money when it comes to that that what happens on a sunday in church i mean that's fantastic but in our world today in 2021 um you know the church needs to exist more than just two hours on a sunday morning for people and i think that you're you're so right in talking about the importance of discipleship and how are we there with people week in and week out in the good, the bad, the ugly, all of those kinds of times. It's like, hey, this is where we, uh, as pastors and church leaders, where we need to put a lot of energy and a lot of focus and a lot of structure as well to be able to maintain and support um, you know, the care for the people that we lead in our churches. And uh, I think that you're, you're totally right with that, that um, that must be a priority. And I think, it, especially coming out of you know, COVID and church and, and what it is, where a lot of that Sunday experience was removed in some ways. I mean, it moved into an online, a digital experience, which is also really fun and really great. But I think that there's been an interesting, um, uh, like I think that churches have had to do a bit of a self-examination to say, okay, were we a church that mainly, uh, you know, our main thing was just a Sunday experience? Or are we a church that, yes. you know, serves people even better than that? What do you, what do you think even you know, to encourage churches coming out of this pandemic. Like, how, how can they do that well? How can they be a church for people's week, not just their Sunday? Like, wh- what do you think on that? No, I agree
1: with you. And I, I think
0: that we just need to
1: lead the way, uh, show the example ourselves, that, that for us as pastors and leaders, church is not only about Sunday and the service. And I think that in our social media, sometimes we promote only Sundays and, and, the, and the stage but I think that if we mean business with like this, with discipleship making, relationship building and, and, uh, and every da- everyday Christian life, we need to show the, the way by being an example. And it goes down so practically to who do you pray for, who do you hang out with and who do you spend time with outside the church and, and, uh, and just to encourage people in the church, that sense of community. I do believe that there are three levels of, of church life: the individual, personal relationship with God, with spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible and worship and these things, and and then many times we just jump one step and go into church service and the big congregation. But that community part is uh, COVID has really showed us the importance of that, and and I think that that is something that uh, we need to emphasize on and strengthen and that is something that we can do during pandemic or without pandemic and I think that that's really where the discipleship takes place but we need to lead the way by by investing in people and building that community uh, and being an active part of that ourselves.
0: Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. I th- I think that that's on the money and uh, um, I think if we're not willing to do it as leaders we can't expect our church to uh, do the same. And, and, um, I I mean, I'm totally with you in that we must set that example. And I think that it is a, it is a great challenge for a lot of us as church leaders, because so often the Sunday experience is sort of our flagship, you know, product, so to speak. Um, it's kind of, it's the shiny thing. It's the attractional thing. It's the, uh, sometimes you know it, it can be it, it can it can be the thing that we want to use to advertise and all those things, whatever I, I think you know that's fine, but it often is in those moments throughout the week like or you know the late night call with someone or the meeting up with someone or the interactions or the encouragement like that's where I think things are like make it, make it or break it in people's lives and um and yeah, I think that it's up to us and leaders in churches to be the ones who are really making sure that we're the uh the thermostat not the thermometer right like we're setting the temperature of Amen what that, to that. is. Amen and uh and i think that that's such a key thing um i wonder when it can i add to that
1: so just uh, just take it one step further about Like really showing the way when it comes to sending and not gathering and equipping and not entertaining and and, and really being taking the lead of sharing the stories of how we reach out to people in the society. And I don't think that we can expect any member or any believer, any follower of Christ to do anything we are not ready to do ourselves or, or we are leading the way in doing so. I, I, I take it very personally uh, in that when it comes to also personal evangelization and personal relationship building and being intentional and missional in that life, and I think that uh, then then the community part will not be as as for no more and too internal, but it will be always intentional, always missional, and and uh, and finding ways to support each other in the daily life of being sent by God into my world, into my workplace, into my relationships.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and that's just it, because I think that a lot of people in church, they think, well, I'm not you know, I'm not a pastor. And so I don't work in a church and, you know, I work in an office or I work in a factory or I work, uh, I'm a teacher. Like, how am I supposed to influence my, my, my sphere there? How am I supposed to do it there? But I think if, if we as church leaders can set that example of, uh, yeah, I'm a pastor, but Everywhere I go, I'm going to make the name of Jesus known just by encouraging people, loving people, the way I live my life, the way I include people. I think that we can model that for the people in our congregations and churches so that the teacher who goes to the school recognizes that they actually get to pastor people there as well. I mean, it's a priesthood of all believers, and they're able to you yes. know, shine that light of Jesus in their space, their sphere of influence. It doesn't have to be from a pulpit, but I think that uh, you know some of the most powerful messages that have ever been preached in the history of the world have come from one-on-one interactions with people um, in the, you know, so quote-unquote regular spaces of life.
1: And I think we need to promote that. I think we need to rethink mission, rethink ministry, and be much more focused on equipping and empowering people. Uh, We are not gathering people for church, but we are equipping them and empowering them and then sending them out to be light and salt in the world. And that we as pastors or any gift that deserves in the church, we are there for believers to equip them to do the work of the ministry. And that's where the impact happens. And uh, so I think that's an
0: important focus. What are, some, what are some practical ways you think pastors can be equipping their congregations for, you know, th- ministry in their, in their day-to-day lives?
1: Well, I think that we need to uh, spend a lot of time with, with uh, understand me right, regular church people, and, and not only hang out with pastors and speak about sermons or buildings or, and listen to their reality and their challenges and, and, uh, and, and pray a lot and how we can be supportive. And it's in, in that relationship, in that conversation, that our eyes are open, our ears are open to how we can support them. But I I mean it it makes a big shift like when we start to pray and give a vision for the city for all spheres of life in the city or for the nation or for a continent that we see that we are not asking people to just help on a Sunday but we want to we want to ask people how can we pray for them in their life in their work so ask the question how can I pray for you it's such a good start. And then then learn, study, listen, spend time to understand who are the people in our church, what's their world, what's their challenge, and how can we be behind them in what they are doing so that they can be used by God for his glory and make an impact for the kingdom of God there. So it's very simple in that way, but but it makes a big difference if our focus is to, to see them as a bridge To see our members as a missionary. Like Jesus, he had teams of of 70 people. That can be a small church. But Jesus saw 35 teams and he sent them out two by two. And if we see the congregation on a Sunday like, oh, I have such a small church. But Jesus saw 35 teams and he sent them out before himself where he was about to go. So uh, if we can help people to see that, that they are sent by God, to people where Jesus is about to show up through them and that God through the Holy Spirit is with them. And we as a church, we pray for them and we want to be supportive in what they are doing. And we are proud of them and we, we empower them, we encourage them, we bless them in what they are doing. And I, I think that that can really make a difference. I, I, I've seen that in St. Petersburg. We, we saw business people. And uh, we started to say, instead of asking them for money all the time, we, we said, how can we pray for you? How can we be behind you? And uh, and we have seen tremendous testimonies of how God is using business people in the business world to lead people to Christ and to see God be glorified there and in all spheres of life.
0: Amen. Uh, that is such a good word. I, I, I love that perspective. You know, that's something that I, I know, but... I, I haven't heard quite the way that you put it, where, you know, 70 people, God saw 30, Jesus saw 35 teams. That is a powerful thing for, for anybody to realize. I mean, 70 people, that you can change the world with 70 people. You have 70 people in your church. Yes. Don't don't compare it to, you know, the person who has 500. 70 people, you can change your city with 75 people. Yes. That's a powerful thought and revelation and I, it is and I, and I
1: also think that we need to help people to just not put their focus on their themselves and their ability but on god because god with god we are always in majority and and uh, with god anything is possible and it's not because of us it's more in spite of us that that god by his grace can use us and one family one team one small church can really make a difference for the kingdom in the city and it's it's about how great is our god it's not about how great we are how big is our church or how how many resources we have so it's not about the size of the church but it's about the size of our god and and uh, the influence that we believe
0: we can have with god for his kingdom amen that is such a good word i wonder um sorry for preaching no please (laughs) I love it. it is can't help myself. <laughs> what would you say, because uh, you're a person who has <laughs> taken a, a step of faith in many times in your life, where you've obviously stepped out, going to Russia, for instance, moving back to Sweden, working with church planning. Like a lot of times it's like, uh, you know, making that leap of faith, that, that step of faith. Um, I find that when I talk to a lot of young leaders, a lot of young pastors, they sometimes get paralyzed by the fear of, am I making the decision that God wants me to make? Or am I doing, uh, you, you know, how do, I, how do I discern what my calling is? How do I discern where to go and what to do and all of these kinds of things? What would your uh, advice be to somebody who's maybe struggling with that a little bit? And they're saying, um, like, like I, I'm, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to discern God's voice or God's call or, or any of those things. Um, how has that worked for you? And, and, and do you have any advice? Well, it's a great question. I uh,
1: I'm 48 years old, and uh, I've been th- soon 30 years in this, and, and I've still struggled to be sure of everything that God wants and God's calling. And I think that just living in dependency on God and just be, be making sure to just doing the more general call of God, we are all called. We are all disciples. we are all sent. So if we just make sure that we are at least living the general calling, and then just giving our lives to God and committing ourselves again and again to God and checking our hearts, then we can trust that He is greater and He will guide us and He will lead us. And it's very hard to fall out of God's will. And 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 uh, no matter what kind of detour we make, God will always lead us if our hearts are before the Lord. If we are humble and willing to obey, so there are a few moments in my life when I know that God has spoken. Then the challenge is just to obey, and and uh, and the fear of God is over your life, and you will be miserable when you don't obey, and and when you do obey, the. The privilege is so much greater than the sacrifice. And no matter what you will go through of challenges, storms, and opposition, it's there is no better place on earth than to be in God's will when you know that this is what God wants for you. So that's when it comes to church planting, I really encourage everyone and anyone who is not really sure that God has asked you to do that, to not even try. Because you you need to have a clear sense of calling. Because it will be t- too tough, you will not survive unless you know that this is what God has called you to do. But when you are called, you have no other choice, and the, the, the privilege is so much greater than any price to
0: pay. Amen. That's a, that's a good word. I think that um, I, I think that a lot of people can benefit even from what you just said right there. Uh, and as well as, you know, when it comes to the privilege of church planting, that there is a privilege attached to it, and it is greater than the price, um, although, the, although it's costly. But anything that's worth something costs something. And especially, I think, when it comes to uh, building God's kingdom, yes, it's going to cost things. It might cost moving away from, you know, your family. It might cost, who knows? There's all kinds of things that, that, that uh, we have to lay down, really, at, at the altar of um, God's call.
1: Well, we can never outgive god sorry for interrupting but well, we can never outgive god and his promises that like in this life if you give up a house or whatever you give up you will in this life have hundredfold back and it's like god's mathematics it's just amazing how you cannot outgive god and and uh, a, a way to when you struggle with fear is just that you need to overcome that you need to fight that fear and you need, we need to kind of do something about it because fear is such a bad master and and there will be times when we
0: are really afraid but we will turn to god amen to everything you just said <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how much you heard but it's anyway. okay I, I i'm with you on that i think that that's fantastic um just
1: uh like one, one practical thing, sorry for, for interrupting, like like what we have done, and I don't say that, oh, how good we are and ev- everyone else should do it. But three times in our lives, we have left everything. When we moved from Russia to Sweden, we just gave away everything. We left all our furnitures and everything and just moved back to Sweden uh, with our suitcases. And it was our choice. But, but then we saw how God provided in building up a home in Sweden. Then after 12 years in Sweden we did this again. So when we moved to Russia we moved with our car and just a couple of boxes and, and, and suitcases. And we saw God provide and build that up and it was so liberating to just do that. And uh, we did it again when we moved back to Sweden now with, uh, with uh, after 10 years in St. Petersburg. and. And it's a wonderful experience. And, and I'm not saying, oh, how great we are. But it, it, for us, it, it's been a... Uh, because when we give, you will always receive. And, and even to that practical things of, of trusting God for a new chapter or a new assignment or a new season. It, it involves leap, a leap of faith, a step of faith. And it involves sacrifice and involves giving. But, but you cannot
0: outgive God. I wonder, Andres, what do you see? um, What do you what do you see? What do you sense happening across Europe right now? Twenty twenty one. We're coming out of a global pandemic. When it comes to the church in Europe, capital C church, what are some of the things that excites you? What are some of the things that you're you know passionate about? What do you see sort of on the horizon for the church in Europe?
1: Yeah, Europe has been such a great Christian continent. And a mission-sending continent. But today we are culturally a post-Christian continent. And we need missionaries to come and help us. So thank you, Luke and Victoria, for coming. And thank you for your ministry and your initiative, a part of that answer to prayer. Um, there are thousands of cathedrals and empty churches in Europe. And many of them are more like museums. But I really pray and believe God for them to be filled again and instead of museum and monuments that we would see a new movement of God in Europe and uh, we know from the scripture that the harvest is great but the workers and laborers are few so that's my focus on training and equipping and supporting and encouraging a new generation of pastors missionaries and church planters and I'm really encouraged. I'm really hopeful. When I look out in in Europe, I I can see how broadly, in 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 many different denominations, there is a, a growing focus on missions, church planting, and strategic evangelization uh, and uh, discipleship, making of nations. And I I'm encouraged by that. Like there are. And growing numbers of church planting networks in Europe, and that is encouraging. You know, there are some, some of the big ministries like Lausanne or European Leadership Forum, city to city mission in Europe, they're really focusing and investing a lot in this. And uh, there are like M4 is a church planting network, and there are others like Acts 29 and others who are really doing great, and that is encouraging. I mean, Sweden, as as an example, there are five denominations and movements working together to plant new churches. And it hasn't really happened in the past, like in the way past, yes. But the last couple of years, it's really starting to take off. Like Norway, our neighbor, they are really leading the way in Scandinavia. I think it's 15 denominations and movements who have a vision together to plant 400 new churches in in Norway, and they are well off. Uh, they're they're doing well, so that's encouraging. And and my focus on Russia, the Pentecostal movement that we were a part of with uh, Bishop Edward Grebavenko, they they have planted 3,000 churches, and their vision is to plant 10,000 churches. And and they are in 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 times of extreme challenges and oppositions many times. They send missionaries and they plant new churches. And, like his church in Perm, in Siberia, only one church has planted more than 400 churches. So, it's just encouraging to see and, and it give, inspires me and gives me faith and hope. But I really want to be a part of, of seeing a new movement of, of, of church planters
0: and missionaries. Um, Discipling Europe once again. Absolutely, I mean, I, I'm obviously passionate about that as well. I, I think it's, I think it's wonderful to read statistics of the way that the Christian Church is growing and thriving in non-Western countries right now. That it's even experiencing like some of the the greatest growth um outside of western uh countries which is a real shift um from the way that things have been over you know the last century but it is a strange thing where now places like europe really do require missionaries and people with a a real missional mindset um and church planters and builders and leaders um and and people who have that on their heart to really pour into the church in Europe. And I, I also really believe that we're going to see God do incredible things in this continent over the next while. And I also, I mean, as you share some of those numbers, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, in Russia, ten thousand—what a is. goal! That's an amazing thing. Ten thousand churches. Yes, because it's not. It, sometimes when we talk about a number like that, ten thousand, um, it's so big that we fail to recognize just that each one of those churches is going to be in a city, a town, a village, a place that's going to impact the lives of individuals there, that's going to impact the legacies of families. It's going to transform generations. It's a powerful thing.
1: I agree with you. And I do think that, I mean, we need a big vision because we have a big God and there is a big need. Uh, But we also need to be strategic and intentional and really rethink missions in a post-Christian culture because it's not like it has been before. It's not like Africa. It's not like South America. It's not like what it has been in in Europe in the past. So we need to study the culture. Uh, The gospel is the same, but how we communicate the gospel needs to, the narrative needs to change, uh, so that we reach the hearts and the minds of of the the upcoming generation in, in such a fast-shifting environment. And and, uh, that's our challenge. So I think we need to be students of the culture. Uh, I'm listening to Timothy Keller as one example who has planted a church and churches in in New York uh, in the U.S. And I think that uh, there, there are so many things we can learn from how they have really taken it serious to study the
0: culture and learn how to communicate the gospel in the culture. I totally agree. I've also been, uh, you know, paying close attention and following him. And I think he has, uh, you know, if you're you're listening and you're unfamiliar with Tim Keller, uh, highly suggest look him up, um, go to his website, just Google him, read some of his books. But he has some great resources and great thoughts and thinking around exactly this topic that has really been challenging me and my mindset. And it's been causing me to rethink even some of the, some of the, um, you know, paradigms and, and viewpoints that I have had. And it's, it's been great and stretching and challenging for me. Um, when it comes to the way that I approach, uh, church building and evangelism and so many other aspects just of, of ministry life, I think it's an an incredible thing. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I would highly suggest you, you check that out and, uh, and get in on that. Um, but Andreas, listen, man, I just want to thank you, uh, so much for, Jumping on here with me and sharing a little bit of your story, some of your wisdom, some of your insights, your thoughts, all of those things, and I, like honestly, I can't wait to even just go back and edit and listen to this episode and take some notes <laughs> because I think some of the things that you have said have just been absolute gold. And they have, I'll tell you what, if if this was for nobody else, for me, this was majorly beneficial. And uh, I, I just want to say thank you. I really do respect you so much um, as a leader as a, 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 you know, even as a, a father and a family, a family man. Um, but, but also just as somebody who's willing to do whatever it takes, uh, to make the name of Jesus known, your willingness to step out in faith, your willingness to be obedient and to, to make those tough choices and decisions. I respect it so much. And I look up to you in that. And I'm thankful that I have people like you in my life that I can look up to, um, and you're setting such a good example. And, uh, so I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for being on here with me today.
1: Thank you so much for your words and thank you for having me it's, it was an honor
0: well i mean i told you didn't i andreas is amazing an incredible person and an amazing leader in the church and uh i hope you got something out of that conversation that i just had with him uh, i mean again it was just so good to be able to hear from him and and glean from some of his wisdom. It was really really fantastic. Uh, I'm going to listen to that again. I know that I, I need to and I need to just like you know take some of that to heart a little bit. But listen, I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen, taking the time out of your day. Uh, it really means a lot. I appreciate it. And listen, if you enjoyed it, it would really help us if you would share it with somebody. It would help us if you would leave a review on the uh, the iTunes, the Apple podcast. what I don't know what it's called anymore. It used to be called iTunes. I don't think it is anymore. But on the Apple podcast app, leave us a review. Share it with somebody that you think would actually benefit from this podcast. And give us some feedback. Let us know what you think about it. You can always reach out and email us at info at ecgi.se. Send us an email. Shoot us a DM on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at ecgi official uh, reach out to me on my Instagram at Luke I would love to hear from you if you're listening, if you're enjoying this at all. And, uh, uh, again, thank you so much. I really pray that you have a great rest of your day or your week, whatever you're doing. And, um, uh, I believe it's going to be blessed. So thank you so much and take care.